Welcome to Epic Moses, the teaching ministry of Chris Morgan. May the light of God illuminate your heart and may the truth make you free as you listen. As we continue to look at the subject of the sovereignty of God, let us review what we have covered so far. First of all, God is a spirit, which means God is a life force. And since God is the ultimate of all ultimates, God is the primordial life force. God is the last bus stop of knowledge. And beyond God, you can go no further to know anything. God has no gender. It's not really proper to assign a gender to God. Although it's obvious that God is not hung up about an identity. Since it took God thousands of years to reveal the name Yahweh to Israel, which is after he initially insisted on being called I am that I am. So evidently, God does not care much about being called any particular name. However, I believe it's important for our own mind's sake to have the correct concept of God as an entity. I have made efforts over the years to remove all reference to gender concerning God from my communication. It has been quite difficult because it's a deep-rooted pattern of thinking. I often slip up, but I'm working on it. I said something to a friend recently. I said that when talking about God, it's like trying to describe the indescribable and estimate the inestimable. So it's hard not to reconstruct human language in the effort. Words will often fail you in trying to talk about God and spiritual things. So you can only do your best to get the closest possible terminology and the use of analogies and allegories to get the job done. But no matter how much you try, no one can accurately define God. But moving forward in the topic, I want to look at the sovereignty of God in the light of God's attributes of omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. These terms simply mean that God is everywhere at the same time, possesses all power, and holds all knowledge. Naturally, every Christian is quite conversant with these few terms as regards God. However, as usual, people hear and repeat what they hear without actually understanding what they are talking about. This is something that is a norm in our religious gatherings. I really can't speak much about other religions, but in Christianity, where I am an adherent, this is the case. People simply parrot what they hear their leaders say without any further interrogation to fully understand it. But even worse, regrettably, even if they go ahead to make the necessary inquiries from their leaders, they will most likely not get anything out of it. 
Because the leader, him or herself, is usually parroting someone else's words too. So over the years, there seems to have been a transgenerational perpetration of ignorance on the back of the parochial leadership system of apprenticeship. In church, we call it discipleship. But the reality is that it is apprenticeship. Though apprenticeship is a fast and effective way to transfer skills and knowledge through observation, it is very limiting on the mind of the person who goes through it. The apprentice will usually not be able to rise beyond wherever their master reached in knowledge and skills. This is because an apprentice does not study, nor are they capable of independent research, but simply learn through observing their master and mimicking what they see. In the end, the apprentice becomes a perfect copy of their master along with their mistakes and even their character flaws. The apprentice end up dressing like their master and talking like their master, even if it's just carpentry they came to learn. That's why junior ministers at churches end up dressing and talking like their leaders. Whereas this system is effective for training illiterate people, it's not a very good way to bring up leaders. This is because with apprenticeship, nothing will ever improve from generation to generation. I strongly believe that this was what necessitated the divine waylaying of Saul of Tarsus by Christ on the way to Damascus. Christ needed a change in standards, which he found in an educated Saul, to upgrade the quality of the gospel being spread. So Christ called him raised him in isolation and introduced him into the fold. This is why Saul, who was eventually nicknamed Paul, brought a new light into the scene and made great impact, which still reverberates till today. I also think that this is why God has taken some of us into isolation and raised us up with an unusual message to shake things up for the edification of the sons of the kingdom. Now returning to the topic at hand, it's important to have a comprehension of these attributes of God beyond mere rhetorics, so that one can properly relate to God on the basis of knowledge. Let's take the omnipresence of God and what it entails. This means that God is everywhere at every time. First of all, do we really believe this? I'm asking this question because in my over 30 years of being a Christian, my experience is that we have always said we are inviting the presence of God to our services. What do we need to be inviting God into our midst if God is everywhere at every time? Can you see what I mean when I say our words concerning God are mere rhetorics? I can't tell you how many times as a worship leader I have said I am inviting the presence of the Lord into the service. 
We just say these things to create a buzz and make ourselves feel good. Meanwhile, it is not actually reality to us. If we really understood what we were saying, we should be welcoming ourselves into God's presence in that location. Because the reality is that God was where we were coming from and God was already where we are when we arrived. I do understand that there's something called the manifest presence of God. But my understanding is that those things were for the Old Testament folks who were spiritually dead. But then, I thought, wait a minute. How do we even know that God is omnipresent in the first place? I need to get scriptural backing for that fact before we can proceed. So I went to my usual first point of call, which is the Bible. To my greatest disappointment, I couldn't find any scripture which directly said that God is omnipresent. I must confess, this was surprising to me. I initially ran the search on the Bible application on my phone, and when that didn't yield fruit, I moved the search to my laptop. But after all efforts, I found no direct quotes which said that God is omnipresent in the Bible. So I went ahead and searched for scriptures which only imply the omnipresence of God and found Psalm 114 verse 7, which reads, Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob. This was very unsatisfactory. Then I found a verse which speaks about the eyes of the Lord, not God's presence, being everywhere. And that was in Proverbs 15.3. And it reads, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now this scripture seemed a little better, but there's a scriptural practice which says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. This is in 2 Corinthians 13.1. This means you cannot establish any matter until two or three people agree with you. So I had to look further. It was then I found it, a scripture unto which this matter could stand. And it's the words of our own Apostle Saul, who was also known as Paul. And it's in Acts 17, 27 and 28, and it reads, And they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. A certain also of your own poets have said, For we are also his offsprings. This last scripture ties it all together. It says, God is never far from us because we are in God. This means that God's eyes are everywhere because everywhere is in God. 
Now this means the omnipresence of God is a function of magnitude or size, not necessarily because of multiplicity. Let me explain. If you travel a thousand kilometers from Lagos going northward, you will still be in this same Nigeria when you get there because Nigeria is that big. If you travel 3,000 kilometers from Lagos eastward, you will still be in Africa because Africa is that big. If you take a flight and move 10,000 kilometers in any direction, you will still be on this same planet Earth because planet Earth is that big. In that same way, if you move to anywhere in this whole universe, you will still be in God because God is that big. That's why God is everywhere at every time. This reminds me of an old song that speaks of the love of God. That it is so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get out of it. Now this makes the thinking of atheists and satanists and every person who does not believe in God so laughable. They are unable to contemplate the existence of an entity and claim to hate what is carrying them in the womb. They are no more able to understand the presence of God than the baby in the womb of a pregnant mother can understand the presence of its mother. It's simply beyond their mental capacity. This is why I don't hate atheists and satanists. I sympathize with them. The bottom line, therefore, is as follows. It doesn't matter where you are. You are still in God. It doesn't matter who you are. You are still in God. It doesn't matter what you do. You are still in God. It doesn't matter where you go. You are still in God. So you might as well acknowledge that divine sovereignty and revere that presence and accept the fact that the presence of God is inevitable and inescapable. Now until next week when we will continue, thank you very much for listening and God bless you. Hope you were blessed by these teachings. For inquiry, support, and contributions, kindly send us an email on epignosis721 at gmail.com. You can also send us a message via WhatsApp on 234 We would love to hear from you. God bless you.